It's wonderful to be able to share with you today. This is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, uh, the six Sundays leading up till Easter, where we remember Jesus's passion. We remember his journey to the cross. We remember why he needed to go to the cross to show the world uh, the unending nature of God's love and to redeem the world and pay a sacrifice for the sins of the, the world. And as we do so, we look at how did he walk along this journey? What allowed him to be faithful on this journey towards Jerusalem, where he would be crucified and where he would rise again? Uh, What were the obstacles and how we all have obstacles in our lives, obstacles that would prevent us from living the life that uh, God desires for us? We can learn from his uh, how we can faithfully journey through ours. Uh, As we seek to do so, I would encourage you uh, each day to be a part of our Bible reading plan. I don't know how we're going to to get through life and the things that we have to encounter without God's guidance and God's help. And it's important to start each day in that way. If you're not already reading the Bible each day, I'd encourage you to begin. We have the Bible reading plan printed out at our information center in the lobby. You can also get it at concordunited.org slash Bible. It's just a short passage most days. And then at concordunited.org slash Bible, you can also get a daily devotional uh, and you can get that in email or podcast form. You can sign up for it. It's going to help you go a little deeper into the scripture's meaning for your life and then have a prayer focus for the day. I can't encourage you enough to be a part of that. Today, we're looking at the challenges that Jesus had as he faced rejection. Now, what we find when we talk about how he turned his face to Jerusalem is in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, we hear Jesus predict his death. He's like, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to give my life. And nobody knew what to make of that. I mean, still in our minds, we, we still wrestle with it some. But back then, like, we know it in our hearts to be true. In our minds, we're like, oh, could there have been another way, Jesus? And the people back then, they're like, no, no, that is not what you're supposed to do, Jesus. And every time he says it, they look at him like he's crazy. But he says it three times. And then we're told in Luke 9, 51, he set his face to Jerusalem. He knew that was where he had to go. He, he could have stayed where it was safer. Uh, he could have stayed where he was more popular. It, He could have stayed where he had the ability to protect himself, but he didn't. He went to Jerusalem because he knew that's where he had to go to show the very depth and the very nature of God's love uh, to exactly the same people who ultimately would crucify him so that the world could be saved through him. Well, uh, as we look at the challenges that he faced on that journey, uh, one of the great challenges was rejection. And he faces this challenge early on his journey. And it's a challenge that many of us are familiar with. Uh, Many of us want to draw back and shrink away the moment we hear the word rejection, right? Uh, We we hear the word rejection and we think, oh, I don't want to do any of that. Some of us, we have like not applied for jobs um, for fear we wouldn't get it. And you know what happens when you don't apply for a job because you're scared you won't get it? You won't get it. Like guaranteed your fear will come true. Actually, what we just don't want to hear is, no, we're not giving it to you, right? Uh, uh, Young men experience this when they think about asking young women out on dates. Uh, The first time I ever wanted to ask a young lady uh, for her phone number, this is how the conversation went. Uh, Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. (laughs) Right? That's how the conversation went. Uh, If you can learn to not fear rejection... If you can learn to not let rejection stop you, you will have a superpower uh, etch 
at your beck and call. It is a superpower if you can uh, push through that. Now, I want to tell you, I got to know a guy with this superpower a little better this week. Some of you know Kevin McDonald. He's a, a member of our church. He's a great guy, just enthusiastic guy, one of those people in this world who's always saying, hey, how can I help? How, how can I make things better? And Kevin and I were talking, I got to hear the story of how he met his wife, Wendy, and uh, they've been a faithful couple at this church, or raising three awesome teenagers here. And he said, you know, we met in college, uh, and I asked her out like our freshman year, and I'm like, how'd it go? And he was like, not well. Uh, she, she turned me down, so I asked her out again. And I said, so what happened? Well, she turned him down again. And he said, so I had to decide what my strategy should be. And so he decided, like mo most people would just be like, oh, I'm done, right? Like, tried it, didn't work, tried, whatever. No, he doubled down. He's like, I just decided to wear her down. <laughs> I was going to ask her out so many times. Eventually she'd give in. So he, he, he told me, he said, you know, uh, the guys, we'd be getting ready to go out one night. And I'd, I'd be like, hey guys, before we go out, um, let me call uh, Wendy and ask her out. And they'd be like, she's going to turn you down, you know, and anyhow, you're, you're coming out with us. He's like, I know she's turning me down, but I'm just going to call her. It'll be fun, right? He'd call her, ask her out. She'd turn him down. Uh, I think it's about two and a half, three years later, uh, they finally got together. And I said, did you ask her out? He's like, no, I waited for her to ask me when I figured I actually had a chance. Um, now, Within that strategy, over those years, it should also be mentioned that during that time, he actually got himself together and went from a possible college flunky to someone with a very bright career path and academic future. Uh, may have had something to do with her opinion, I don't know. Um, but they have this incredible family, incredible relationship, because he, to some degree, he had a superpower, right? Uh, other people just would have said no, and he's like, no, I'm not scared of that. What would it be like how would it change your life if you could walk through life without the fear of rejection, uh, without believing that, that it could stop you? Uh, because for some of us, this is, this is one, of, one of our greatest fears of being told you're, you're just not good enough. You know, uh, no, you, you just don't have it. Uh, and, and when people say, when people turn us down for things, we, we don't hear, well, maybe you could improve some. We hear, no, there's just something innately wrong and shameful about you. And you, you're, you're just not one of those good people. You're just not one of those successful people. You're just not one of those smart people. You're just not one of those skilled people. And we don't want to hear that because of how it feels to, to hear it. So we, we, we really don't want, it's even more so than what other people might say to us. We don't want to hear what we're going to say to ourselves inside our head after they don't choose us for for, for something. How many people can still remember what it's like to be on the playground and be picked last for kickball, right? Like it's pretty deep, pretty shallow thing. Like who cares? Kickball is a game. Like literally we still haven't figured out how to monetize kickball. You know, you know we, we've monetized every sport in the book. We can't monetize kickball very well. Somebody here is going, oh, I've got my career path now. <laughs> figured it out. Uh, but, but we remember how it felt. Like a, a skill that has very little applicability in life, but being chosen last, we know how it feels. Uh, what would it be like if you didn't have to fear that? And then let me ask you another more difficult question. How far are you willing to go to avoid rejection? And I imagine that when we think about how our lives are right now, many of us would answer way too far. Many of us can look back and say, I've been willing to sacrifice my values to avoid rejection.
I've not stood up for things that I should have stood up for because I was worried, uh, not just that people would do anything to me. I was just worried about how they'd look at me. I was worried about what they'd say about me uh, later. Uh, and so uh, I didn't stand up for things or, or for people that, that I should have stood up for. Uh, some of us have had big dreams in life and we just didn't have the courage to take that step because it risked rejection. Well, Jesus shows us a whole new way to, to deal with that. I want to jump in to this because right after Luke tells us that Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem, he experienced rejection. I mean, immediately. And then he experienced it repeatedly on his journey to, to Jerusalem. So here we go with Luke 9, verse 51 to 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them? Seems a bit of an overreaction. Um, <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them. Uh, then they went to another village. Okay, here's what's really going on in this passage. It's a little bit coded based on the culture at that time. It says they had to travel through a town of the Samaritans. So where Jesus was, if you look at the ancient Holy Land, up in the, the northern tip of it, above the Sea of Galilee, is Mount Hermon. And he'd been there near Mount Hermon teaching. He begins to travel towards Jerusalem. He has to travel south to Jerusalem, past the Sea of Galilee, and then past this area that's north of Jerusalem called Samaria. Now, Samaria comes from, that used to be a part of Israel, uh, but then several centuries before Jesus, the Assyrians invaded. And they didn't conquer all of Israel, but they had conquered that part of Israel. And the people there were Jewish, but they intermingled and intermarried and mixed their religion and culture with that of the Assyrians. So they became something completely different called Samaritans, uh, who had some Jewish beliefs and some uh, ancient Assyrian beliefs uh, about life and about God. And they created over the centuries this incredible rivalry and really hatred uh, with the Jews who lived nearby who did not succumb to the Assyrians. Well, he's walking through one of their towns and we're told as he goes in their town that they asked that the town would make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Okay, so what that says, his face is set towards Jerusalem. He's a Jewish rabbi going to Jerusalem in this Samaritan town. And this Samaritan town, what they're saying is, we don't, want, we don't want much to do with a Jewish religious teacher. We have our own beliefs. We're different than you. Uh, we, we don't like you and your kind. And so you can't stay here. Now, uh, for, for us, uh, th this, this has to be understood on a different level. Every culture has things, uh, hospitality codes, that you just follow. Because it's very important to keep things moving forward uh, to keep society functioning. Uh, and if you don't follow those codes, uh, you are really looked down on and shamed, which kind of explains here the, the big reaction of Jesus' disciples uh, who uh, are, are looking and are like, hey, maybe God should just consume these people with fire from heaven. Uh, now, now, why are they so mad? Today, if a stranger comes to your door in the evening and says, I need to stay with you for the night, it's probably wise you say no, right? 
Um, there, there are a few circumstances uh, under which you might say yes if uh, there's a major natural disaster and people have been put out of their homes and everybody's scrambling. But on a regular, ordinary Tuesday, you're probably going to, to say no and you're justified in, in doing so. Now, in our culture today, if an elderly woman is trying to get in the church door and she has a walker and you don't hold the door for her, like, we might call down fire from heaven. Like, come on, what are you doing? Like, have, have a little self-respect. Um, get it together. But in that day and age, they didn't have Holiday Inn Express. If you wanted trade and commerce to happen, you had to ensure that travelers could stay safely in the villages to which they came to and could stay without an inordinate cost because if there was an inordinate cost, people wouldn't travel. People don't travel. There's not business. The economy goes down. It's worse for everybody. So they had this really important hospitality code that when strangers come to your town, uh, this is life and death, not just for the stranger, uh, but for the whole economy. You find a way and you let them into your home and you let them stay there and you're going to need some to do that for you when, when you're traveling sometimes. So this was written into the culture. And when they don't do it, Jesus's disciples are infuriated. They, 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 just, they just can't believe it. I remember when I first became a pastor, and I guess maybe one of the reasons because I became a pastor was I always loved my pastors. And, and I had some great pastors. And I always really respected and thought high, highly of pastors. I had no idea. Some people didn't until I got unchurched friends. Um, but I became a pastor and this crazy thing happened. Like, you know, people join the church, uh, like uh, when Kayla and Jonathan Duke joined the church today, and they make these pledges to serve the church with their prayers, presence, give service, witness. And um, I would call these people on the phone who had made these pledges to spend their life serving Christ. And not only would they not take my call, they wouldn't return it, right? I was like, I know you have voicemail. I left one and I was so offended, right? I was like, how can you not return my call? And I was using all this energy. And then another older, wiser pastor was like, well, maybe you should text them. Like, maybe that's just how they like to communicate. Maybe you should email. Maybe, maybe, maybe get over it and just, just try something else. If, if you communicate with them in the right way, they'll, 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 they'll respond back to you. We can get so caught up in these little things, right? These little things that prick our egos, that irritate us, and we can let them throw us to totally off track. And we can let them cause us to, to think bad things about other people. Now, I guarantee you, if, if I call you today, you'll answer, right? Um, but that's not, that's not what the point is. Um, the point is that how easy it is for us to, to get off kilter with that. And that's very different than what Jesus did. Here's, here's what Jesus did. Um, when his disciples said, Lord, we should, we should pray against them, curse them. Jesus says, no, no. And he just continued on to another village. He just kept doing his thing. He knew what his thing was. He knew what he was all about. He didn't let it throw him off. He just, he just kept doing, doing his thing. And we see that over and over again. Jesus shows little concern when others reject or disrespect him but great concern when they reject God. Now, we got to parse that out a little bit because I know Jesus is God. I, I, I get all that, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, but he, here's what it means. These people weren't rejecting uh, 
ultimately for eternity God when, when they dismissed Jesus from, from their town. They didn't know he was God. Uh, they just thought he was a Jewish rabbi. Uh, and uh, they were irritated with, with, with the Jews. Uh, Jesus over and over again is personally insulted. He doesn't react big to that. But when he sees people walking away from his father's ways, he reacts real big to that. Big enough to give his life for those people uh, who personally insulted him uh, because he wants them to ultimately be, be connected to God. There are other examples. There's Judas, right? Judas rejects Jesus, betrays Jesus. Uh, what does Jesus do? Jesus could have stopped him. Jesus says, do, do what you have to do, Judas. Just do, go and get it over with. Do what you have to do. Peter denies him. Jesus tells Peter he's going to deny him. Doesn't stop Peter from doing it. But, and, and doesn't stop Jesus from loving Peter and using Peter as one of the great leaders of the early church. Jesus knew it was coming. It, it didn't make Jesus sit there and question his mission or if he was doing a good enough job uh, because, because his lead follower denied him. And then there's the crowd. Do you remember when Jesus goes to be crucified? And even Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who was not known as a great dude, uh, Pontius Pilate is like, you know, I think y'all are being a little harsh on this Jesus guy. And he's trying to find a way to, to let Jesus go, maybe because he's really compassionate, probably because his wife told him to. Uh, that's in the scriptures also. Uh, so, but he, he's like, hey, I always release a prisoner this time of year. You can have Barabbas, uh, this violent guy uh, that everyone agrees has done some real bad stuff, or I can release Jesus and literally the worst thing Jesus ever did. I mean, literally the thing that got him crucified was he forgave people and he did some work on Saturdays. Like, like that, that, that was what happened. They said, oh, you can't forgive people. You're not God. You shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. That, that was it. That was a charge against him. And the whole crowd cries out, Barabbas. Give it, save Barabbas. What rejection for Jesus doesn't deter Jesus. Right then in that moment when the crowd cried out for Barabbas, Jesus could have called down a thousand angels to slaughter his enemies uh, and uh, lift him up over them and prevent him from having to journey to the cross. He didn't do it. He didn't let rejection push him away uh, from what God had for him. He just kept going. So the question is, how can we just keep going? And what's it look like for us to keep, just keep going when rejection comes into our lives? Because it's going to come. And, and, and it's not going to feel good. Uh, but uh, what, how, how can we keep going? Well, we have to look at how do we let it get such a grip on us? Because there are other things that we don't like in life, right? But we don't let them stop us. I, I'm 43 years old. I'm going to turn 44 next month. I still don't like brushing my teeth, right? I don't like doing it. I wish I didn't have to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for two minutes each day. You know, I'm going to do it. God, I'm, I'm so old. I use an electric toothbrush, like, because it's better. Like, I'm going to do that. I don't like it, but I'm not going to let that, that stop me from, from getting up, getting going with the day or from being socially acceptable with de decent breath, uh, right? There, there are things in life we just have to be like, we just got to do this. We, 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 we got to get going. But here's why we get afraid to the point of being paralyzed. Fear of rejection, like really that paralyzing fear comes from finding our identity in someone else's opinion. 
It, it, it's not that we're so scared that we won't get something or that we won't do, do good. We're scared of what they'll say about us and we're scared of what they'll say about us because we allow what they say about us to form our opinion of us and find our identity in that. And we think that's what our identity's going to be is in that rejection and in what they, they say about us. Now, Jesus didn't ever doubt his identity. He was the son of God. He, he was eternal. He, he'd been around for literally forever. Uh, he, he, he knew it, it's, it's tougher for us. We have to have a way to find our identity in something else, or we will often default back to others' opinions. And uh, that's not good for them. It's not good for us. So what we've discovered in following Christ is that following Christ requires finding our identity in God's truth, not others' opinions. It requires finding our identity in what God thinks of us. It doesn't mean that others' opinions aren't true. Like sometimes others reject us um, and like they might be right to do so. They might be right to turn us down for a certain task or a certain relationship. We might not be, be ready for it, but that's not what defines us. I remember when I first really allowed myself to be defined uh, by God's grace and God's love for me. I'd learned about it. I knew about it ever since I'd been alive. One of my earliest memories uh, is my mother reading Bible stories out of a kid's Bible to me sit, sitting on her knee. And that kid's Bible, uh, I, it had an orange cover. Uh, it, I, I remember how it was bound. It was the same orange Bible that her mother had read to her. I, you know, I, I learned about it. I, I knew about it. But when it really became real to me, I was 16 or 17 years old. Uh, and uh, I had done some things I wasn't proud of. Uh, and people had said some things about me uh, that I didn't like that weren't entirely untrue. Uh, and I had this experience of God. And I had this experience of just God's grace, of saying all that stuff I forgive. And Will, I love you. And I love you just as you are. And even with all your faults and all your failures and all your weakness uh, and all your insecurity uh, and all your immaturity, I just love you. And I love you so much I'd give my life for you. And I love you so much that I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I will walk beside you every day for the rest of your life. And I just had, the, and it wasn't that I heard those exact words in my ears. I just felt this warm presence as I was praying. And I just knew it. I knew it at a deeper level uh, than I could know something because I read it in a book. I knew it in a deeper level than I could know something uh, because I performed a scientific experiment on it. I knew it at that soul level, right? Um, when we get there, then we realize uh, that our identity comes in what God says about us. It's what God thinks of us. It's how much God loves us. It's how we're created in God's image. And because that we're beautiful and, and we're sacred, even when we mess up, we don't completely distort or destroy that image. We're beautiful because Jesus would walk to the cross uh, for us and he did it back then and he'd still do it if he had to today. That, that's why we're worthy. Not because we're so great. Because of what he's done for us. And once we find our ID there, we find their strength. We find their, their strength there for how we handle rejection, right? Because here's what happens. There, there are a couple types of rejection that we experience. One is baseless rejection. That's what Jesus experienced in Samaria. Like it was baseless. It really wasn't personal with him. They were just bigots. 
And uh, he just needed to walk on and not worry about that. He, he, he had bigger fish to fry. And one day, the way he conducted his life would be known by everybody in the world, including those in Samaria. And they'd have a chance to become better people because of him. But today wasn't that day. He just wasn't going to worry about it. Sometimes you're in that position. Somebody rejects you. Somebody's ugly to you. It's got nothing to do with you. How many of you have ever been at a store and you hear somebody just bless out the clerk who's checking them out because of a store policy that the clerk has no ability to alter, that the clerk did not set, that the clerk cannot alter, and they just let the clerk have it? Well, uh, you know, that that clerk didn't do anything but show up on time for work that day to to deserve that. But it's, it's baseless. And there are times when people will say things to you, they'll do things to you, they'll reject you in ways that, that are baseless. And you've got, you've got to let that kind of, you know, rejection, you, you just do what Jesus did, just, just keep going. And then there's another type of rejection. There's a type of rejection. For, now, Jesus didn't experience this type because Jesus was perfect, but we do. There's a type of rejection with a grain of truth to it, Right? There's a type of rejection where we say, I have something to learn from this. And when we have our identity in God's truth about us, we have strength to learn because that rejection doesn't threaten our identity. In fact, learning from it helps us become more of who God's created us to be, who we know we are. Uh, we, ha- we have that strength. Sometimes that type of rejection is shared with us in the kindest, most gracious language. And sometimes it's shared with us in ugly, overly aggressive language. But when we have our strength in God's identity, we have strength to receive it and actually find in it a gift, not a curse. Psalm 19, verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I love the way the old King James Version says it. It says, it is the glory of man to not take offense. It is the glory of humanity to not be easily offended. Man, in our culture, we are easily offended, right? Uh, if we could give any gift to our contemporary culture, it would be Proverbs nineteen eleven. It is the glory of humanity to not be easily offended, to take what people say and go, okay, let me see how I can receive that, but let me have an identity in God strong enough to receive it in a, in a healthy way where it doesn't destroy me, but where it, it blesses me right? Uh, this, this feedback um, I'm receiving. Well, uh, so, some of you know that this, this coming year here at the church, uh, our senior pastor, Larry Trotter, one, one of the greatest pastors I've ever met, he, he is retiring this year. And I want to let you know that June 11th, mark it on your calendar, we're having a big celebration for Larry. So I want you to be here Sunday, June 11th. I also, I want you to be here several times between now and then. <laughs> Like maybe about 15 times or so between now. But, but I really want you to be here that day. And I really want you, what Larry has reiterated this to us. When you tell him how much you love him and how much you want to celebrate him, I want to make sure you tell him that you're celebrating his ministry, not his retirement. <laughs> Several of us have referred to retirement celebrations for him. And he contends that's not a celebration uh, you should be happy about. But um, 
within that, in, in the church, we found, we found this out last year as, as Larry was praying about God's next chapters in his life. And, and the church went through a discernment process along with our superintendent and our bishop. Uh, and it was determined that when this takes place in June, that, that I'll become the, the next senior pastor here at the church. And when that happened, uh, it, it's been a great year that, that we've had that because we've been able to put a lot of pieces in place so that uh, we can continue to, to move forward uh, and just do great things for the community. It's amazing what's happened in this church in the past year, and I couldn't be more excited about the next uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in the life of this church. But I began to look at myself and I'd say, okay, I've got to do some preparing. And I've, I've told some of you this story before. One of the things I did uh, was I went out and I found a guy who had worked significantly in his life, successfully, I mean, amazingly, in, in the business and the church world uh, and actually the education world. And now he was working as what, what they call an executive coach. And I hollered at him and, and I said, hey, I, I think you understand uh, like the important secular side of leadership. And I also think you... Uh, understand Christianity and how spirituality governs how we see it in the church and I, I really need your help um, so he said hey I'll help you and I'll even give you the church rate and when he gave me the church rate what that taught me was man I don't want to know the business rate um, <laughs> but let me tell you every penny was incredibly worth it and one of the things he did was he said Will I want you to give me names of 20 people I want some of them to be staff at the church. I want some of them to be church members. I'm going to ask them what they think about you. And then I'm going to come back and tell you, tell you what I find out. And, and so he did. And he took incredibly detailed notes. And then he changed the language to protect the innocent. Uh, but I remember the day he came back to me and we met for an hour. Now, remember, this is feedback that I've asked for. This isn't unsolicited. This is feedback that I've paid money for. And 80% of it was, in, was just praise, was just we love Will. Uh, Will Will's awesome. You, you know, it, 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 it was great. And, and I'm going, yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he is. 20% of it was what I would call graciously constructive. Nobody was mean. If they were, he changed the language to make it nice. Uh, but it was graciously constructive. Uh, and, and it was just, just helpful and honest. And when I heard that 20%, you know how it came across to me? Oh, oh, that hurt. Right? Now, I asked for it. I paid for it. It wasn't mean. It was gracious. It was still hard. This takes strength. Uh, facing rejection takes strength. Even when it's not really rejection and we just interpret it as that way, it takes incredible strength. You need to be strong in your relationship. You've got to find your identity in Christ uh, and in God's truth about you because when you do, it's amazing. The first 15 minutes after I got that feedback, I had to shut my office door and get myself back together, right? And I will tell you for the next three days, I was off kilter. I just didn't feel like myself. Uh, I felt insecure. I felt weird. I wasn't sure what was going on. I, I was going to have to change some things I didn't know I had to change. After three days, I got so excited. 
after three days, that feedback moved from curse to incredible blessing and gift. And I'll tell you why. Because I began to realize, God, what you've called me to do, where you've called me to go, I can't go without this. I will never get there. We will never get where we need to be as a church. There will be all kinds of collateral damage in, in my life and in my ministry. If I don't receive this feedback and you've given it to me and I have people who care about me, who are honest enough to give this to me, and now I can grow closer to you and more into who you created me to be because of this. God, I'm so excited and I'm so thankful that I can journey down this road. It took three days, right? Sometimes you might encounter much tougher rejection in your life. It might take three months, it might take three years, but don't let it stop you. Do not let it stop you and don't let it define you either. Find your identity in God's calling on your life because here's what Jesus' calling was. Here's why Jesus couldn't be bothered by that little petty rejection. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to make a way for those who've rejected him to be accepted by God. For the very people who are rejecting him, he's, go, he's going for them. He can't slow, let them slow him down or, or they're gonna suffer and he's not gonna fulfill the mission uh, that he has. What's our mission? Our mission in life is to know, find our identity in the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ and it's to share that. And when others reject us, it's a great opportunity to share that because we get to learn to receive it in a manner uh, that doesn't make sense unless you know Jesus. We get to learn to receive it in a manner that doesn't lash back out and doesn't want to just, just get back at them because that's so easy to, get, to go down that path. But, but we get to receive it in a manner that causes people to go, what do they know that I don't? How could somebody respond that way? Who do they know that I don't? How, how, how can I learn that? How, how, how can I, I find that? And if you're going to walk that way in life, if you're going to be able to walk right through rejection and actually be thankful for it because you realize you never could become uh, who you want to be uh, w without it. Um, Wendy, I don't know if Kevin would have become such a great guy without your rejection, but you should totally claim that. Like, it, you, you should just totally claim that. Uh, but for, for us, we won't become what, what we're supposed to be unless we can just walk through this. And here's how we can walk through this. Here's what I need you to know. Here's what you need to know. God will not reject the soul that repents. The soul that humbly turns to God and said, God, I wanna be who you created me to be. And I recognize that I've stepped and I've walked some away from that but I want to go back towards it and I need your help to get there. God won't reject. The reason Jesus went to the cross was so that that soul would never be rejected. If, if that Jesus was not willing to receive that soul, then he never would have gone to the cross. We know he was scared of the cross. We know he was so disturbed by it that his sweat became like drops of blood. We, we might say in our language, he had a panic attack about the cross. He didn't want that. He didn't enjoy that. He went for this reason. If he was going to give up on you he would have done it before that after that he's not going to do it he's not going to do it there are times when you might think I feel like God's rejecting me no sometimes God rejects your plans because they're not the best for you because God has something better no sometimes uh, God rejects your rationalizations because God wants you to, to live in the truth not your own lies yeah God will reject those things God will never reject you he'll never reject when you come humbly to him he'll receive you as his child his child he's proud of. You might have messed up. Doesn't mean he's not proud of you. 
right? You, you might have been hateful to others doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Uh, you might have given up on yourself doesn't mean he's given up on you. That's what he does because he set his face towards Jerusalem and he didn't let rejection get in the way. If you'd like to live your life in that kind of power, then I'd encourage you to pray with me. Gracious Lord, we come before you today and we thank you that not even rejection could stop you from following the path uh, to your mission, the path to the cross, uh, to the empty tomb, to glory. Uh, we thank you for opening the gates of glory for us. Oh Lord, uh, we can only imagine how it felt for you to be denied a room to stay in, how it felt for you to be re rejected and betrayed uh, by Judas, uh, to be denied by Peter, uh, uh, to be rejected by the crowds who demanded your execution. And yet you walked that road for us. God, whatever road in this life you have for us, whatever road we can walk for you, give us strength to do so. Don't let rejection stop us and help us find our identity in your great love and grace. We pray this in your name. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.